lovely song for you. You're welcome. Um, and we'll continue and start service.
communion. We have stations all around the perimeter of the room. Um, Sundays quickly become my favorite day of the week for many reasons. Uh, 
especially this church, the band, the way Pastor Corey articulates his message, the people, getting to know a lot of you through greeting, hearing your uh, trials and triumphs. Long gone are the days where when I was little, we had to go to church, and I would beat feet in there, get a bulletin. That way I could follow along the progression of the service and see when we were getting to the end. Oh, this is the doxology. This, Yeah, this is, we're getting close. Okay. I don't know what the doxology is. I'm sorry. Um, but I love this part of the service too because I get to hear everybody's take on what Jesus' sacrifice means to them. And there's so many themes that encompasses his sacrifice. It's just cool to hear everybody's feelings about Jesus' sacrifice. Also with greeting, not only do I get to know you, the coolest thing is watching the moms and dads juggle like three, four, five, six, there's some small armies in here, like seven kids all in once. You're picturing what they went through to get them ready to get here. And there's nothing quite like kids to make you live for somebody other than yourself. I'd like to share um, a poem with you. Forgive, it's written in like 16... 60. I thought of doing an age joke about Corey. I won't. Um, get better, Corey. The sentence structure's backwards. It's, you know, it's written in 1660, so bear with me. But God is addressing his angels about the original sin, about the fall of man, and their fate. He says, man disobeying, disloyal, breaks his fealty, and sins against the high supremacy of heaven, affecting Godhead, and so losing all to expatiate Expate his treason hath not left, but to destruction, sacred and devote, he with his whole posterity must die. Die he or justice must, unless for him some other and able is willing to pay. Again, he's addressing all his angels, saying who is going to take on their penalty. The rigid satisfaction, death for death, say heavenly powers, where shall we find such love? Which of ye will be mortal to redeem man's mortal crime, the just and just the unjust who save dwells in all heaven, charity so dear. So he's asking, he's asking the angels who's going to step up. He asked, but all heavenly choir stood mute and silence was in heaven. Nothing. On man's behalf, patron or intercessor, none appeared. Much less that durst upon his own head draw the deadly forfeiture and ransom set. And now without redemption, all mankind must have been lost. A judge to death and hell by doom severe had not the Son of God in whom the fullness dwells of love divine, his dearest mediation thus renewed. Jesus steps up and speaks, Father, thy word is passed, man shall find grace, and shall grace not find means that finds her way, the speediest of thy winged messengers, to visit all thy creatures, and to all comes unprevented, unimplored, unsought, happy for man, so coming he her aid can never seek, once dead in sins and lost atonement for himself, her offering meat, indebted and undone hath none to bring behold me then me for him life for life i offer on me let thine anger fall account me man i for his sake will leave thy bosom in this glory next to thee freely put off and for him lastly die well pleased on me let death wreak all his rage so he's telling god i'm willing to leave this awesome seat beside you to take man's sins on my back Under his gloomy power, I shall not long lie vanquished. Thou hast given me to possess life in myself forever. I by thee, by thee I live, thou to, now to death I yield, and am his due. All that of me can die, yet that debt paid. Thou will not leave me in thy loathsome grave, his prey, nor suffer my unspotted soul forever with corruption there to dwell. But I shall rise 
victorious and subdue my vanquisher. Spoiled of his vaunted spoil, death his death's wound shall then receive, and stoop in glorious of his mortal sting disarmed. I through the ample air and triumph high shall lead hell cop, captive Malgar hell and show the powers of darkness bound thou at the sight pleased out of heaven thou shalt look down and smile while by thee raised I run all my foes death last and with his carcass glut the grave then with the multitude of my redeemed shall enter heaven long absent and return father to see thy face wherein no cloud of anger shall remain but peace assured and reconcilement wrath shall be no more thenceforth find thy presence of joy entire let's pray Dear Lord, we pray we look to your example of sacrifice and ask what can we give of ourselves to help this church, this community. May we look across whatever aisle, political aisle, political spectrum, whatever, and embrace our enemies, reach out to them, and love them as you have loved us, even though we are undeserving of it. And we know we can't get to heaven by your works. We just have to believe. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to sacrifice his body on the cross for our sins. Amen.
is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wonder. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Given the sermon up, but I'm going to use these chairs. Um, when I uh, heard the word tithe, I was always a little bummed out when I heard it. You know, anytime I got money for like a birthday present or Christmas, or I did a job for a neighbor and I would get paid for that, I'd come home and be like, hey, I made this much money or whatever. And my parents would be like, all right, 10% off to the church. I'm like, all right, that's fine, I guess. Um, so it wasn't until a little bit later in my life, especially like during my college years and stuff and a little bit after that, that I kind of been like, oh, this is a big deal. Like, this is something I probably need to be doing. And I, I kind of started understood where that money would go and what that gets used for and things like that. And then I met my wife and tithes always was kind of a big thing to us. And we weren't always the best at it. And I think we were, all, we're always getting better. But uh, doing that and then seeing what gets done in the church is an amazing feeling. And especially to be like, we helped with that. We helped build this church what it is. We're, we helped get this building every Sunday, things like that. So the traditional sense I know of tithing with monetary value is kind of a thing that maybe we struggle with a little bit, but I've been, I've been reading and I also find that uh, God doesn't talk about just uh, financial tithing. He talks about spiritual tithing too. And I think that's something I struggle with even more than financial tithing. Uh, looking at Matthew 23, 23, 
uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And I think I struggle with that sometimes, especially when it comes to giving parts of my day to God. I, I read my Bible at night because it's really hard for me to get up in the morning. And I always am thinking, I need to take that time that God's given me to be on this earth and give it back to him. And not think of it as like, oh, I have to read my Bible now. But like actually taking the time and tithing my time, the most important thing we have, back to God. Um, so I challenge you to do that this week. Uh, as you're going throughout your day, instead of thinking, you know, you get your paycheck on Friday or whatever, instead of thinking, oh, what's 10% move the decimal point, um, think, oh, well, how did I tithe God today in other ways? Did I give my time to him? Did I give resources to him? It doesn't have to be through the church. Did I see somebody on the street that might have been in need and I gave them food? Something like that, you know? So I encourage you to do that this week. Uh, in a few moments, the guys uh, on the back there, you guys all look or a CD from this angle. You guys look real cool back there. Um, they're going to come forward with the buckets. Uh, you can put cash or check in there, or you can give online securely at reallifecc.us. Click the orange icon, which is addicting, by the way. I look forward to tithing now because I'm like, oh, I get to press the button. I get to do the thing. Anyway, um, so there's just some ways you can give it real life this morning. Uh, let's pray. Uh, dear God, I pray that uh, your hand is kind of in these people's lives and that you kind of lead them toward that the time you give us is precious and because of that we need to give some of that back to you just like in everything we do just like you told uh, Adam and Eve to do just like you told Abraham to do just like you told Noah to do everybody throughout the Bible is always tied this has been an important thing and help us to see kind of past the financial regulations of that that we kind of take for uh, just as the general rule of thumb and that we can tithe more of things that maybe matter a little bit more. Uh, I should encourage you to be have your hand in uh, our lives this week as we go about that. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. did that on purpose. He was talking to Bill about making mine really tall. <laughs> this must may, may be your entertainment for the day. Can we turn the lights down a little bit back here? Good morning. How are you guys? So, um, Bill and I are going to share a little bit with you today. We are in um, kind of a marriage relationship series. Sorry, is that better? We are in a marriage relationship series, so Bill and I are going to share a little bit of our testimony with you today. Um, so, we're going to share some of the parts of our story that um, we're not glorifying to God, and then part of our story that 
we hope is. So I hope you will focus on the part of our story that is redemption and Christ's love and forgiveness for us and um, not focus on the things that we did incorrectly early on. Um, with that, I'm going to pray, and then Bill's going to start us off. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us enough to continue to pursue us, even when we're undeserving of that. Father, I just pray that you would give us the words that you need us to speak, and that you would open the ears of those who are here today, that they would hear what, uh, what you're speaking to their heart. Lord, again, I ask that there would be glory in your redemption and your forgiveness, and not in the things that we do in our human flesh. Again, just give us a sense of uh, peace, and just fill us with your spirit. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Corey called us yesterday about 22 hours ago and said, can you do this today? We said, sure. So we're going to condense it. I'm going to give you about 15 minutes, and Melody will give you 15. Uh, and, I, and I like to stress, we, Melody and I have done this before, but uh, I like to stress this is our story, uh, not necessarily yours. Uh, but I think Melody and I have pretty much lived uh, most of what any of you have gone through. Uh, but we're going to come at it from two different perspectives, mine and hers. So I was, uh, I jokingly let folks know I was born and raised a heathen. Uh, didn't go to church, uh, didn't want to go to church, didn't care to go to church. That's the way my parents were, that's the way my sisters were, that's just how I was raised. Uh, in our family, when you sat around the kitchen table and talked about things, uh, you talked about everything. Anything went at our kitchen table. You just That's just how it was. You could talk, just discuss anything, which is totally opposite of Melody's family. Uh, so, so that's kind of how I was raised. No church. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, my older sister became an alcoholic. Uh, but they were good parents. Uh, they, you know, they, they tried hard. They worked hard. They were married for, you know, 37 years until my dad passed away. Uh, but I didn't know sin. I didn't know Christ. So I just did what I did. Uh, my dad was a good dad, but I, I didn't know what it was to respect a woman. Uh, a woman was for sex. And to work and clean the house. I mean, that's all I really knew. Uh, so I went to college, met a gentleman out there, found out he lived right by me. We became good friends. Uh, a year or so later, he joined the military and called me and said, Bill, I'm out in Kansas. Uh, would you come out here and be in my wedding? I lived in Colorado at the time. I said, sure. So I went to Kansas or came out to Kansas. And first day I was here, I met Melody. Uh, she, her cousin is who my friend was marrying. Uh, and if you don't know Melody and I, Melody and I dated for three weeks, and then we got married. Uh, and when I say that, I mean we met in May. 
we were married in September, but she lived here in Kansas and I lived in Colorado. So we were only together for 22 days in that four month period. So when people ask how long you knew Melody, I say three weeks. Uh, so we got married and my expectations were, uh, you'll shut up, you'll do what needs to be done, uh, we'll have sex when I want, and we'll go about our lives. And that, that was my expectation of marriage. I don't, uh, I don't know that I really knew what love was about. Uh, I didn't understand the meaning of that. So when I found out that I'd married someone who had her own opinion, <laughs> which Melody, that hasn't changed. Uh, and again, Melody and I, what, what she's going to say, what I say kind of overlap, but uh, we lived with my parents for about three months and then we moved out. And uh, I mean, the main reason Melody and I got married was because Melody was pregnant. Uh, again, I, I don't know that I loved Melody. I, I don't know. Maybe I did, just didn't know what it was. Uh, but she was pregnant. Uh, we lived with my parents' first few months. Then we moved out to our own place. And uh, Melody and I, you know, we're making $1,000 a month between the two of us. And we have debt and we have bills and we have a kid coming. And all of a sudden, I get a $350 phone bill which is a third of what we were making every month. And I was not happy. So I decided to uh, call her every name of the book and say what had to be said. And that just was not how Melody was raised. And that's kind of how things started with us. Uh, they were difficult at best. Uh, lots of arguing, lots of fighting, uh, lots of throwing things. And I was uh, disappointed in where I was at in my life. I mean, we were both young, but about a year or two after we got married, we moved from Colorado out here, and things just weren't going how I wanted them to go. You know, you're 25 years old, and you're working at a fast food place. So I joined the military without asking Melody. Uh, so I came home one day and said, what would you think if I joined the military? She goes, I don't think so. And I said, too late, I've already done it. So a month and a half later, she picked up from Kansas and or a couple months later and off we went to Texas and things were, I, I don't know that things were progressively getting worse. I don't know that they get much worse. Uh, she didn't do what I told her and that ticked me off. So now she wasn't doing what I told her and now she was away from her family, which made it worse for her. So we were in uh, Texas for about a year or so and uh, I got orders to go to uh, England in the United Kingdom, which was fine for me because I'm British. That's where all my relatives live. So I wanted to go. Uh, so we have a crappy marriage uh, with a child. Uh, we're living in Texas, you know, 500 miles from our family. Uh, and now I'm saying, yeah, you're my wife, you're going to England, whether you like it or not. 
which is about five or 6,000 miles away. So she'll have no support system. So we moved. Things again got progressively worse. Again, I don't know how much worse I can get. And Melody decided that was it, she's leaving. So she left and took Josh, uh, filed for divorce. Uh, it, it was it was hurtful at first, uh, knowing that I was in England for four years and I wouldn't see my son but once a year. Uh, after one or two, three months, I lost all interest in Melody. It really didn't bother me at all. Uh, and then she called and said, I'd like to try and work on it. And I said, great. Uh, which, you know, it was okay. I didn't, I saw my mom and dad uh, married, you know, for 30 plus years and I knew even though I wasn't a believer that uh, marriage was important you didn't just toss it away and I didn't want to toss it away because I had you know a child also involved there I wanted to be a good dad whatever that meant uh, so Melody came back uh, and if any of you, any former military folks in here? Anyway, holler out. Okay. Were you stationed in Europe? Okay. If you're, if you're active duty military and you're stationed in Europe, uh, there are a couple expectations. Uh, you'll drink a lot. Uh, you'll smoke. And you'll be an adulterer. Uh, wife swapping was commonplace. It just was. It's just something you did. And people are like, no, no, yeah. Yeah, I could tell you some stories. Because there was nobody else. We were on a base that had 138 people. I was personnel. They were all ammo. Uh, most of the bombs that were delivered during Desert Storm in the 90s came from where I was stationed. So we were loading bombs and missiles and all those types of things. So they drank a lot. That's what they did. And they partied and did whatever came naturally. And... Uh, Melody and I got caught up in that, and Melody will tell you later, much more her than me. Which again, she was just doing what she knew, and I was just doing what I knew. So we were there for about another year and a half, and when she left to come back, she said she was going to file for divorce again. And at this point, I was like, yeah, whatever, right. I don't care. Uh, but then I got back to the States and realized I think I'd be better off with her than without her uh, and asked her if she'd be willing to try again. And I said, if you're willing to try, I'm willing to go to church. And she's like, yeah, okay, right. But she took me at my word and moved to Texas. We were stationed back in Texas again. Uh, and I started going to church. And about two or three years after I started going to church, I decided to accept the Lord, which was October 15th of 1995. Happened to be on Melody's birthday. Now, my expectations were, and again, not a lot had changed. We live in a nasty relationship. It's just what it was. Uh, my expectations were, okay, I've accepted the Lord. Things will be so much better now. 
things will be perfect and I won't have to worry about these issues anymore. And for all of you folks out there who believe that once you accept the Lord, things will be perfect, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you are still going to have issues. You are still going to have problems. But I realized the more I grew in the Lord, the easier things got with Melody and I in that the Lord was kind of touching my heart and showing me uh, what love was and what it means to respect your wife and, and just be there. And we grew together, but things, you know, things don't fix themselves overnight. You know, at this point, we've been married 10 plus years, and they've been an ugly 10 plus years. And things just don't get fixed because you accept the Lord, the next day it's perfect. It just doesn't. Uh, so Melody and I had to continue to work, and she rededicated. Uh, so I don't take up too much time. You know, then we decided to get out of the military. We moved back here. And for you guys who don't know Melody's parents, uh, you should. Her mom was gone now, but they prayed a lot for us, uh, which I know helped us, helped me. Uh, but we still continue to have issues. Uh, but I think the older we got and the more we were in the Word uh, and the more we were faithful to one another, uh, the Lord was faithful to us. And, you know, if you jump ahead to today, Melody and I still have our difficulties, but I will say this, we, I don't know if never is a good word, but um, we never fight anymore. We argue a lot. <laughs> it just is what it is uh, about a lot of stuff. I mean, we argue. We will always be two different people but we've been brought together as one because uh, that's what the Lord has called us to do. Uh, so even though we came out of a lot of difficulty and we still at times have some difficulty, um, we've trusted in the Lord and uh, we've been able to grow in that. And if you get anything out of today from me, It's that, although, you know, we're in the world, we're not supposed to be of it. We, we fall too much into, this is okay because everybody else does it. Uh, churches aren't willing to preach on real truth. Uh, but if you want a relationship that's special, uh, where each of you love one another, uh, and you can be married like us coming up on 36 years. Uh, you have to understand that God's word is truth. They're not suggestions in the Bible. They're things that we should be doing.
Okay, so I thought he did pretty good in, in telling our story. Um, I will just dive in a little bit deeper um, with our time in England. And as he mentioned, um, I had kind of been taken from my support system and, and thrown overseas with nothing. And, and I realized that the 80s was a different time, but you know, we didn't have computers, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have Skype. Um, <laughs> we just didn't have the ability to communicate back with the folks here like we do now. And um, we only had one car over there, so I felt like a lot of my independence was taken away and, um, and that support system. And so like he said, you rely on the other people that you're stationed with. That becomes your family and that becomes your support. And so, like he mentioned, we're, we're partying a lot, and we're hanging out at the bar, and as you can imagine, one thing leads to another. And um, I really have to say that at that time, and in that culture, uh, living in the world and of the world, you're going to get your um, opinions from those are the people that you're getting it from. And so if I said to someone, oh, Bill did such and such, and I'm really irritated, their obvious response is going to be, I wouldn't put up with that. I would be out of there. And so that's the culture that you're living in. And so it just, it just compounded everything um, until I was, I was just done. And I really didn't care what happened to him. I didn't care about a relationship with Christ. And I uh, was just doing my own thing, living my own life. So fast forward to when we came back to Texas and he had agreed to go to church. So the very first Sunday that I was in church, uh, as he mentioned, I rededicated my life and I really felt this overwhelming sense of, I felt my sin. I, it, it, it's hard to explain, it's hard to put into words, but I almost felt how the Lord feels when we sin. I was completely undone. I think I've mentioned this before. I just sobbed. I sobbed at what I had done to the Lord and um, was totally transparent before him and asked for, for his forgiveness. And a few things did change. I mean, we agreed collectively that at that point, as Christians, we were not going to go to a bar. We were not going to um, hang out with people that would be giving us bad, um, bad advice. And we really did stick to that. And things did improve. Granted, they weren't perfect, but they were improving. And, and that is directly related to our relationship with Christ. And we changed our mindset. We changed it how we looked at um, the people around us and to each other in our relationship. So, uh, as he mentioned, things weren't perfect. I mean, we still continued to argue. And I've told this story before, but fast forward about another 10 years or so. And we, we had a pretty major argument and um, I don't know what the argument was about at this point. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I, I just thought to myself, 
Lord, I've made a commitment that, that I'm staying in this relationship, but I don't know how. I mean, I am just so done and so over it. You know, it's funny. I tell people we didn't, we didn't have anything in common. We didn't like the same movies. We didn't like the same music. We didn't like the same TV shows. We didn't like, um, there's just hardly anything that, that we had in, in common. And so those are the things that we argued about, how we spent money, when we shopped, when we didn't shop, and um, I could go on and on. But suffice it to say that whatever this argument was about, I was just, how are we ever going to be on the same page? I mean, even, even with God, we aren't even on the same page. So I left. I got in my car, and I, I started driving, and I'm just sobbing, and I call my girlfriend, and I said, I just cannot do this. I, I don't, you know, I've made a commitment, but I don't know how I'm going to live the next 50 years like this. And she patiently listened to me spew my ugliness for probably 20 minutes, and at the end of it, she said, Melody, this is Satan. And Satan is trying to get to you through your marriage. And the reason I tell that story versus when we were in England is because now I was having godly counsel. I had surrounded myself with Christians. I was in Bible study. I was in the word. I was journaling every day. And even though my circumstances were all still in the world, even though the circumstances hadn't changed, where I was seeking my counsel had changed. And she said, this is Satan, and he wants to get at you through your marriage. Bill is a believer. He will understand that. Go home and talk to him. And I did. Walked in, and I said, Bill, we need to talk. And I started to tell him the story of what Susan had said. And he said, at the very same time as I did, this is Satan. And he said, I've been praying since you walked out the door. And it was really a turning point in our marriage, um, we, we actually prayed, asked Christ into our relationship. Um, we each prayed individually. Now you can tell the story about kneeling on the bed and coming together. And yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to tell that one. So um, it was at that point that we decided that we needed to ask Christ into our relationship. We prayed individually. We both had a relationship with Christ, but we had never taken the time to invite him into our marriage. And so it was at that point that we uh, knelt together on the bed and we prayed. And um, Bill led us in prayer and really asked Christ to be part of our marriage. That was big for me. I, you know, I just, I felt the Lord speaking to me a day or so before that happened about, you know, the Lord was telling me, I love you, and I know you love me, and I know you've accepted me, and I know Melody's accepted me, but you have never come together as one and asked me into your relationship, and that meant a lot to me, and we, like Melody said, we knelt on that bed uh, together, and we held each other, and I prayed about bringing the Lord into our marriage and not just overseeing Melody and, and overseeing me, but overseeing both of us as one in the relationship. Right. So it really was a pivotal moment for us in our relationship. And um, I really think things began to, to change. And, and over the years, then, we have really developed a passion for marriage. And that couples really can 
work through the issues that they're having. I mean, obviously, I, I know if there's abuse and that sort of thing, it, you need to go. You need to get away from that situation. But even in that, the Lord can heal um, if both parties are willing. Um, I know that the Bible makes provisions for adultery, but even in that, if both parties are willing to change, um, there is provision for that, that the Lord can heal and, and redeem. The scripture that Corey had for today was Ephesians 5, 1 through 9, and I'd like to read that. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God wrath, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. I really think that sums up where we started and where we ended up. Um, the, the hint of anything wrong run from that do not associate with that you are not going to be pure before the lord if you're seeking ungodly counsel if you're hanging out where you shouldn't be hanging out and i know Corey preached a sermon uh, it's probably been a year or so ago and one of the things he said is don't be around the places that are causing you to stumble leave those run run as far as you can as quickly as you can there's nothing good that comes from the world. We only find our hope in Jesus. And I will also say that Melody has gotten, and I think both of us have gotten uh, better at uh, understanding our roles in the relationship. Uh, Melody and I had a lot of disagreement when it came to raising our son. I would say Melody wanted to be the mother and the father, and that was always a, an argument for us. But, you know, through the years, we've understood Melody has a role to play in our relationship, and I have a role to play. Uh, and it's important, and now I'm speaking to the men here today, it's important that you play that role. Uh, if you give up what God has given you in a relationship, someone else is going to take it. And typically that will be the wife. So make sure, men, that you are being and doing what God has called you to do. Uh, and don't be embarrassed of it and don't be ashamed of it. But it's up to you guys to lead your family and do what's right. Because if you're doing things that are not godly, 
and you're not following the word, then everybody is going to look at you, including your wife and your children, and say, if dad or husband isn't doing it or does it, why shouldn't I? So men, lead. Okay, if the band wants to go ahead and forward. I just want to finish with this. I've been doing the, um, the Bible reading. I'm going through the whole Bible. And um, along with that, I, I'm listening to a podcast where um, she kind of summarizes what we've read for the day. And uh, a couple of days ago, uh, this was part of her podcast, and it just really struck me. God meets his people where they are. Let me also say that we were talking about sacrifices, so uh, God had given how the temple should be built and how the sacrifices should be done, and so that's kind of where we're, where we're at. And she said, God meets his people where they are. Much of the church today has gotten the idea that God can't be in the presence of sin, but we don't see that in Scripture. God tells his people to come to the courts when they sin to offer their sacrifices there, not far away. He wants them to come nearer to him. From the beginning of humanity, we have been running from God when we sin. We run and hide. But he says, draw near. God isn't afraid of sin, and he isn't corrupted by the presence of sin. If he were, he'd have to stay quarantined from us forever. Our God built his home in the midst of sin intentionally, and sinners can't fix themselves. So rid yourself of the unbiblical idea that God runs from our sin. He tells us to run from sin because we can be corrupted by it, but he can't. He is not afraid of you. He is not afraid of your sin. He made a way for you. He paid for it because he wants to be near you. Love the song, No Matter What, that we sang earlier, and I think that's what the band's going to play. No matter what you've done, you can't erase his love. He's still holding on no matter what.